You are listening to episode three of the Teaching Matters podcast, a podcast created by the University of Edinburgh to debate and celebrate learning and teaching in higher education. This podcast complements the university's Teaching Matters blog and invites students and staff to engage in topical conversations. The first three episodes accompany the Teaching Matters mini-series on social responsibility and sustainability. This third episode continues the conversations from episodes one and two on a climate change, but from a staff member's perspective. In this episode, we welcome back our guest host, Master's student Polly Wells. Polly asked University of Edinburgh staff members, Velda McCune, Emily Creamer and Hannah Chalmers, what inspired them to teach about sustainability issues, and invites discussion and debate about the best teaching methods to inspire climate optimism in the classroom. Happy listening. Okay, welcome back. Um, so if you have just joined us for this episode, please go check out the student discussion episode, the one before this. Um, today we'll be talking to uh, some of the lecturers. So I'm your host, I'm Polly. I'm a master's student studying environmental sustainability. Um, and so most of what I learn it has a pretty tight focus on climate change and sustainability as a whole. But other students such as Ryan, Ellie and Emily, who we spoke to last time, they don't have such a focus on climate change. And so today we're going to be talking to the lecturers um, about the challenges that they face in teaching about climate change and its associated issues when students have so many other things to consider and prioritise. So we're going to introduce who we're talking to today. Uh, hi, so my name is Hannah Chalmers. I'm a senior lecturer in the School of Engineering. Um, I teach climate change and, and energy in a couple of different ways. So one is I have a course for MSc students and senior honours in engineering, uh, which is about sustainable energy technologies. In the past, I've also run interdisciplinary group design projects for, for students like that. I also teach first year engineers and we introduce energy and, and some climate change issues in the first year as well. Hi, I'm Emily Creamer. I'm in the School of Geosciences and I'm the course organiser for Participation in Policy and Planning, which should really be called Participation in Environmental Policy and Planning because that's what we focus on, focus on um, kind of tactics and processes of engagement and participation around environmental conflicts um, and kind of sustainability decision making. Hi, I'm Velda from the Institute for Academic Development and I'm running a project at the moment where I'm interviewing teachers around the university about how they teach you about what we're calling wicked problems um, and climate change is a really good example of a wicked problem where it's complex and it's hard to see the outcomes of possible solutions and there's lots of different stakeholders. I also do work with staff around the university developing curricula so we might well be talking about what sorts of things to include and whether climate change fits into a particular programme of study. Okay so to start us off just wanting to ask what was it that inspired you to get into teaching these subjects? Was it your previous experiences of being taught or was it more external interests that have moulded your academic development, I guess? Uh, Hannah, if you'd like to start. Um, so for me, um, I research in, in the area of, of energy and climate change. Um, so it was a and within our school, we have program Sustainable Energy Systems, MSc program, and, and undergraduate streams that, that include energy and climate change. So I've been invited to do a course which brings in a little of my research and also provides a broader perspective because it's, it's for students who need to have, know more than just what I do you know, when I'm researching. Emily? Uh, so the course that I teach, um, like I said, is focused on kind of participation. And I suppose the reason why 
I was inspired <laughs> to teach on that course is um, I guess because I really believe that to find a solution to climate change, we need to kind of get everybody to buy into the fact that climate change is a problem. And that's kind of everybody across the whole of society, whether that's politicians or CEOs or members of communities. And often I think it's a really difficult thing to get people to buy into and to engage with. And people tend to focus on the technical fixes rather than the softer stuff because it's easier to sh kind of show your progress, show the outputs of your work. If you've kind of built a wind turbine or you've, um, I don't know, even created a community allotment. But I think that winning the hearts and minds, I suppose, to put it in a cliched term, is equally as important and students need to learn how to do those processes and so I suppose that's the inspiration. So for me it started off as a personal interest. I was involved quite a bit in things like Friends of the Earth and conservation volunteering but my job involves thinking a lot about how we want our graduates to be at the end of their studies, how we want curricula to be, what kinds of teaching we want to have. So actually starting to think about how all sorts of wicked problems like climate change and poverty could be picked up in teaching ended up being really relevant to the day job as well so the, the two have come together. Okay. So Valda what do you think is coming from uh, your teaching background teaching teachers mm. um, what do you think is the most effective way for people to teach about climate change and sustainability issues do you think it's through inspiring and and encouraging uh, optimism or do you think it's more just relaying the facts and perhaps instilling a bit of fear and maybe occasionally erring on the side of climate fatalism and pessimism. So the teachers I've been talking with in the Wicked Problems Project had lots of really good strategies for this. I think on the whole it's erring on the side of hope and encouragement. So things like showing students examples of wicked problems that have been solved or partially solved, um, showing inspiring examples. But there was also quite a lot in the data that I think is important about asking students to face up to their own part in this and the teachers doing the same. So quite a few of the teachers I talked to would say, you know, we're all culpable here, maybe my fridge management isn't very good or I fly too much for work, and then ask the students to be starting to think about their part in it. So I think it's a balance between building confidence in students and encouraging them to be hopeful while being honest that there are some significant problems and we're part of those. Yeah. So Hannah, um, so you're uh, teaching on engineering and in our previous discussion with the students, Ryan is also mm -hmm. an engineer. So, and he was saying that um, the way that he's been taught has been very much more relaying the cold hard facts <laughs> um so what do you think do you find is the most effective way to teach about these kind of issues yeah so i mean yes as engineers we deal in cold hard facts <laughs> we also de deal in solutions um so what we try to do when we're developing curricula is to think about problems and how to communicate problems and ways to solve them so that's partly practicing open-ended design of of all sorts and that's then kind of introducing projects that allow people to address the wicked problem of climate change in a particular setting. So we have students in our, in our fourth and fifth years who are designing hydropower plants and they're given you know, data about a particular site and 20 credits worth of time to you know, explore that together as a group across different engineering disciplines. In the earlier years, it, it can perhaps be a bit more closed, uh, but it's still 
it is still about trying to let them see both the problem and the contribution we can make as engineers to solutions. So what you were just saying there about these group projects and working more in an interdisciplinary way came out really strongly all across my interviews as well. So lots of people saying, let's take an authentic problem that relates, for example, to climate change and let's bring the students together in more or less interdisciplinary groups and have them practice that kind of interdisciplinary working and problem solving. That seemed to be really important. So, Emily, what do you think about uh, how to encourage students to think in this more interdisciplinary way when engaging the public in issues around sustainability? Yeah, I mean, my course is 100% interdisciplinary. We don't really, I don't really believe in disciplines when it comes to solving problems. I think disciplines are for universities and the real world is made up of, as Hannah was saying, problems that need solutions. And I think um, to solve a problem, you need lots of different, you need kind of a thematic approach to understanding problems rather than a disciplinary approach, which is quite different, you know, and it brings together different skill sets and different types of knowledge and integrates them. And um, that's very much the, the approach that we take in uh, participation in policy and planning. I really encourage students to think about kind of how their skill set fits in with the skill sets of the people around them and how those things can be brought together to solve a problem together. And Similarly, it sounds like to a lot of other courses that tackle these issues, we have um, a large uh, project-based learning component which runs through the whole semester. The whole class works on together as a single group. And the whole point of that project is that they're supposed to learn through the course of the semester that it's extremely difficult to bring all those different knowledge types together. But in the end, the product is much better if you are able to find ways to do that. And this is so great to hear, especially after the discussion that the students we just had, because <laughs> uh, this was what we were wanting. <laughs> <laughs> Good. So one point that we raised in our previous chat with the students was that perhaps, so I mean, I'm on a environmental sustainability master's. It's very specialised in terms of that's all I look at, really, is anything related to sustainability. But uh, do you think that if we take more of this holistic interdisciplinary approach to education do you think that perhaps a degree such as mine in years down the line wouldn't be necessary because sustainability could be integrated in a whole range of other disciplines such as so for example with Ryan and the engineering when he's learning about the renewable energy systems that's learning about sustainability but do you think that could incorporate a broader context? So, I mean, as engineers, our degrees are accredited by professional bodies and all practising engineers are expected to be aware of and implementing sustainability principles. So we try to, well, we're expected to, and we try to bring in those themes for our undergraduates um, and also for our MSc students. So these are all, in our mind, you know, initial professional engineers, you know, in training. So we aim to start early with that. I think... You know, as time has gone on and sustainability has become a much more developed and nuanced concept, then perhaps there's more to do in getting teaching to catch up with that and to see it, as you say, as an integrated thing rather than a bolt-on thing. Um, sometimes we do well with that, and I think in some places there's there's room for improvement. Yeah, Emily. Yeah, it's a difficult one because I think it's important to protect specialties and kind of expertise you know there's a real trend towards getting rid of experts at the moment in, in kind of public discourse and I really don't believe in that and so although I do 100% think that sustainability should be incorporated where relevant across university courses I think it's also important to still have courses like yours where you're really getting a depth of knowledge about the wide spectrum of issues involved in environmental sustainability you can't expect every student to have that kind of whole 
systems view that you're going to get through a course like yours because they're focused on engineering and we need engineers and we need doctors and we need specialists yeah so I'm, I, I think there needs to be a, a balance and, I, and um, yeah I think it, it's a difficult one to answer yeah. Helen? I suppose what's important is that you know engineers and doctors and so on know that there's a question and have enough of the language and ideas to be able to engage with that question and know when they should call on a specialist but I, th- I agree. I think we need a specialist there to call on sometimes too. Yeah. What do you think about that, Velda? So I would broadly agree. I think we need to hang on to the disciplines because they're so important in so many ways for having the kind of expertise you need to bring together to solve the problem. So it's much easier to be interdisciplinary if you have a really good grounding in an understanding of your discipline. So I I think for me, the disciplines would stay. And I think also the specialist courses need to stay because for the student body as a whole, there's a lot of important graduate attributes. So knowing about sustainability is one, um, but knowing about inclusion and equality and diversity might be another. And there would be a big long list. And if you try to embed all of those in all programmes and get rid of the specialist programmes, I think you you would lose the depth of understanding. So I I think we're maybe quite in agreement that we need both. I think um, one thing that comes to my mind is that this kind of foundational knowledge and understanding of uh, climate change and sustainability needs to be part of uh, education from day one, not when they get to university. You know, it needs to be something that is brought into schools from primary school level and it's just being integrated within kind of foundational education so that then when you get to university, there isn't so much of a need to integrate that within courses because it's already instilled within students as they're learning, as they're kind of becoming experts in particular fields. I think that's a very good point, um, one that was raised in the previous episode. <laughs> and just following up on that, I think Curriculum for Excellence in Scotland, at least, is doing quite a lot to integrate these themes. And my stepson's quite often coming home and talking to me about how my electric car is better for the environment and things like that. So it seems actually to be happening in practice, at least in some of the schools. Great. Yeah. So by the sounds of that, do you think that specialisation, so narrowing down your options and choosing your degree specialisms and things, do you think that that entire kind of system needs a reform? Because, I mean, personally, I have chosen that I want to study science since uh, being, I guess, 12, when you're choosing if you want to do double or triple science, and then when you're doing GCSEs, A-levels. My, my process through education has just been narrowing me towards science and science alone, and then... I realised in my undergrad I didn't want to be doing just science and that's why I'm doing this master's now. So um, do you think that education as a whole needs a reform? Um, I think, so as an engineer, we think quite internationally. So we we kind of know of and, and think about um, what happens at university level in other countries too, not just in ours. And I think in our country, we are particularly keen on getting people to be quite specialised quite early. So I think that there's there's much to learn from other parts of the world where there is more breadth, even at university level. So I think it's as I agree with you. You know, you cannot have interdisciplinary without having the discipline. You know, it's in there in the words. <laughs> um, so I think it's important that you have the depth in in the technical skills as well. But for me, the disciplines don't work together if there's not enough, as I said, enough of a seed of the other things to be able to have some language and some understanding of why it might help to start that conversation from that perspective yes I think that means it's important that you know yeah we've got 120 credits per year maybe 80 or whatever are kind of proper 
engineering and the other 40 need to be other things perhaps and our degrees are set up like that you know they maybe not the balance might not be quite right but we do partly because we're expected to to develop professional engineers uh, partly because we think it's a good idea you know our programs are set up to bring in some management stuff to bring in a little bit of sustainability and things and, and other stuff so but in general yes I think that that breadth versus depth thing is important. Emily? Um, yeah, I just wanted to pick up on the, the skills thing. So you talked about how it's important to develop skills. Uh, and I think that's really um, the bit that we need to maybe focus on a bit more is it's not necessarily about the disciplines that you've trained in, but it's the skills that you've developed through that discipline and how they can be applied in different contexts. Because I think, you know, I don't know very much about the school system but now, you know, contemporary school system. But when I was going through school, you know, you, you have geography, you have history, you have maths, you have English. We didn't get taught what, what the transferable skills were and how you could blend those different skills together and create something bigger and better and so I do think that that's something that we can maybe focus on more through education. Velda? So I think the Scottish four-year system has nice potential in it for for more breadth. I'm not sure that we always use it to its, its full effect but I think there's something to look at there in terms of how we use the first year in particular to start people with a, a good foundation of thinking broadly about important topics. The other thing that I was going to say as well is that there's a lot of talk at the moment about how learning will continue through the life course. So it is of knowledge just moving so incredibly quickly now and new jobs are arriving so quickly that quite often a lot of the content people learn at university goes out of date. So there's been a lot of talk as we're considering the future of higher education in the university about how we can be part of these processes of people coming back maybe to do micromasters or continuing professional development. So I think there's good thought to be had about how we weave things like climate change and other graduate attributes through the life course as well and keep it going. Yeah. So that was actually a point that um, Ellie from our previous episode raised. Um, so she called herself an armchair activist. So she's quite active on social media and things about things surrounding environmentalism and environmental justice. And um, and she was really, really keen um, for education to extend beyond the classroom. And she was um, saying that the value of social media in continued learning was something that the university had started doing a bit, but could very much continue on. What, what do you think about the value of social media in this? Social media specifically, I'm not so sure. I mean, quite often um, in the online teaching I've done, we use social media as part of the online community building or as ways of sharing ideas. But it might be that other technologies come more to the forefront. I guess at the moment we mostly use the virtual learning environments, although quite a lot of people teach in blogs, which I suppose are a form of social media when you make them public but we quite often don't. So digital technologies, definitely social media specifically, I'm a bit less sure. Um, one thing that I think of immediately is massive online courses, MOOCs. So one of my colleagues has set up a MOOC in carbon capture and storage, which is running for the second time and has been very popular. So uh, how do you think that things like social media could complement those kind of more online distance learning things? Um, so... I mean, that particular MOOC has been tweeted about a lot. <laughs> um, I suppose the thing is, that when we build communities of any type, then the, the social media, I suppose, will help with that in terms of making links and keeping links and, and so on. So um, if we have a group of people who are able to stay in contact more broadly, you know, out of common interest. One of the things we thought about a lot in engineering is LinkedIn as a kind of professional network. 
and the importance of professional networks. So um, I'm not an expert social media person, so I'm probably not the best person. But <laughs> but yeah, I think you know LinkedIn and the sort of the the sort of the professional ability to stay in touch and build networks and so on is important alongside people's Facebook, which often tends, especially if you're looking at student staff stuff. I think staff prefer not to have personal Facebook link with students whereas in LinkedIn there is more of an ability to have a whole university community including alumni as well which is can be important. I think one of the things with social media to bear in mind when you're thinking of it as a learning environment is the risk that it becomes an echo chamber Mm -hmm. and that's definitely something with climate change you you notice all people on my timeline are tweeting about what terrible thing climate change is and how you have to act now and seeing the videos of Greta Thunberg in Davos giving these incredible speeches to CEOs where, you know, everyone just thinks this is the turning point, it's going to happen. But I know that my social media is not representative of the world. And I think it can lull you into a false sense of security in some senses. Um, so that, yeah, maybe that's my one caveat. Just following on from Emily's point, I think we also have to be very aware that a lot of these social media technologies are not neutral and they operate through algorithms which affect what people can see and not see so you can end up talking to the same people again and certain themes being brought up to the fore so I think as a university we probably have to think quite carefully of the ethics of the platforms that we're willing to use. So um, one of the big points that Ellie made in the previous episodes was um, how social media how that has connected such a global community basically making a community out of the entire world and um, she was saying how social media has encouraged the development of empathy and increasing empathy skills is one of the biggest challenges facing the interdisciplinary learning style so do you think that the increase in social media presence and things do you think that that will impact on the interdisciplinary learning styles I'm interested that she said that it increased empathy. Is that based on just her sense or was it uh, kind of something that she'd read or what was? Um, so I believe it was based on her sense okay. um, in, this, in the way that if you are learning more about all the different climate injustices that are going on globally um, and then you have the opportunity to follow that story and learn more of the different perspectives around different issues that, in her words, was increasing empathy. And That's great. I, I think it's brilliant if social media is having that effect. I think it also does have the opposite effect, though, where people get into quite hate-filled groups and band together in tribes against things rather than kind of opening their eyes to new things. And I I know that Twitter, for example, has been heavily criticised for the amount of abuse that people receive through, um, through it. So I think, again, it's something that has potential for good, but it also has potential for bad. And we need to be a little bit careful before we all jump on the bandwagon, Yeah, I think. I think it might be about us trying to curate the right kinds of conversations. So I participated in the Learning for Sustainability MOOC and some of the conversations we had there, we had uh, they had us talking to people all over the world about their day-to-day life experiences and how that related to sustainability. And I found that incredibly powerful, you know, simple conversations with somebody in sub-Saharan Africa about what they'd had for breakfast really made me go away and think about the sustainability of my own breakfast and actually change what I have for breakfast permanently. So the right kinds of conversations encouraged in the right ways with somebody keeping an eye out for any sort of unpleasant behaviour might be more positive than sort of social media free-for-all. 
So what do you think the university could be doing more of to encourage this climate optimism, to encourage people making these changes based on what they're learning in a variety of sources? I've already mentioned her once, but she's my new hero. So Greta Thunberg said at Davos, I don't want you to be hopeful. I want you to panic and then I want you to act. And although I do believe in climate optimism uh, to a certain extent, I do also believe in instilling a sense of urgency and a sense that this isn't just a a master's degree that you're getting to put on your CV. This is you being trained up in how to help fight climate change and build a better world. And I think one of the most important things we can do is to um, make students passionate about having a career and a future that is positive and that is going to make the world a better place. And I don't think that's necessarily selling them some kind of utopian vision of the future. It's about building a sense of agency and a sense that together we can overcome any problem. You know, if we work together, we can solve the problems. We've made the problems, we can solve the problems. So yeah, that's that's what I think. So Hannah, what do you think about that when you were saying engineers, they look at problems, but they also come up with the solutions how do you think that you can instill climate optimism in that yeah so I mean I suppose as engineers we spend much less time on kind of climate science and meditating upon all of that we we spend much more time teaching people about how to design things against a design brief and you know to to fulfill a need whatever that need may be so I suppose for in terms of engineers there's an interesting question about how much do we spend time on there are these urgent wicked problems that we want you to know about so that you will choose to pursue a career in that direction versus well we're going to give you some tools you know go off and work wherever you think is kind of cool for you and so I suppose in the the kind of more applied areas it's perhaps that kind of thinking or, or, or conversation a lot comes down, I think, in our part to um, students themselves and, and what they want to work out with each other and what they want to encourage each other to think about and be challenged by as well. I think I'd like to see the university building on some of the good things that are already happening to show, I suppose, even more leadership. So we do fantastic teaching research practice around sustainability and around climate change. But I think sometimes even if you're quite interested in these issues, which I am, you don't know about all of it. So I was sounding off on a discussion board about lack of solar panels in university and somebody came back and told me about all the solar panels and all the new <laughs> panels that are planned. And I just hadn't realised that they were there. So there's something about promoting that, but also going even further. So one of the things I found out from talking to social responsibility and sustainability is that most of the flights that happen for university business travel are to London which I find quite shocking. So I'd quite like the university to bite the bullet on some of these tough, uncomfortable issues and say, really, that sort of thing doesn't fit with an understanding of climate change is urgent. Yeah. So do you think the university should be leading by example in climate optimism? I think leading by example to inspire optimism. I think in many ways we're already leading by example and there's lots going on that's fantastic, but I'd like to see us going even further. Okay. So what role do you think you as teachers have in tackling climate change? So for me, it's about inspiring other teachers in the university to think about climate change and other wicked problems and understand those as important and relevant for their teaching 
and have a really good toolkit and really good confidence to build them into their teaching. So when I teach on the postgraduate certificate in academic practice, which is partly for teachers about teaching, I'm trying to get them to think about how would your graduates be better in terms of sustainability or ethical citizenship and what would it take to teach about that? And actually, it's really possible to teach well about that and, and not difficult once you've got some of the ideas. So that that's probably my angle on that. For me, I think it's important to try to be reasonably open about what I care about because students know whether you care or not. So they can see the passion, they can see the concern. And, you know, if I'm really serious about thinking that engineers should be dealing with climate change, they need to know I think that and they need to know I really mean it and care about it. I think it's really difficult. I suppose what's my role, not just as a kind of teacher, but as anybody in the world, what's my role in tackling climate change? I don't know. It's a really hard one to answer. You know, I I do what I can within my own life to live as sustainably as I can without compromising on other parts of my life but I'm in no way a perfect example of how to live a sustainable life and so I wouldn't like my students to look to me as the role model of how to tackle climate change you know at an individual level I think what I'm trying to do with the course is to teach students that what matters is participating and trying and educating yourself and working with other people and like I said already, I suppose, trying to build a life that has a positive impact rather than a negative impact. So following on from that, where do you think the role lies within students in tackling climate change? Are, are you wanting them to be inspired and go out and try and change the world and make it better? Because that sounds like what, what, you, what you're aiming for there, Emily. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I, I would love every student that left my course to go out and try and change the world. But at the same time, I don't think it's fair to put responsibility solely on student shoulders I think you know the thing that I love about teaching the MSc is that there's an electricity in the room of an MSc classroom because everybody has chosen to be there this isn't just you've kind of followed on from school and you've gone and done the degree that your parents told you probably should this is people actively choosing to go back to university and spend money to get educated in something and if it's environmental sustainability for example then you've got a room full of students who are passionate about environmental sustainability and you can see it you can feel it and everyone's excited and I think there's so much potential then for those people to go away and change the world but they 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 also have the right to live whatever life they want exactly as Hannah was saying you know I can't say to them you have to live this life it wouldn't be right for me to say you have to live this life course it's up to them to make the decision about how they balance all the different needs in their life you know and they have you know everyone has different uh, needs and desires and life goals so um again it's a difficult one to answer um but I'd like to hope that my students go out wanting to save the world so do you think that teaching is something to complement the students wider interests so in the last discussion we talked a lot about um societies and organizations that the students have become involved in kind of on tangents to their degrees do you think that is a environment better suited to developing those kind of interests i think it needs a bit of both so I think it's very important to remember that the university experience is not just what happens in the 180 or 120 credits per year. You know, the, all of that other stuff, the living away from home for the first time, the clubs and societies, the, you know, all sorts of things happen in those four or five years or however many years, one year as an MSU student that you're here. 
and that all matters that all forms you as a person as a professional etc etc so i think you know for for the body of engineering students you know is it their job to fix climate change i think it is their job as professional engineers to to know about sustainability stuff not just climate change but other things as well and to integrate that in their professional practice and to take it seriously not just tick the box and i hope that you know we can be in an environment and, and help them to develop the kind of the ability to see the difference between really caring and just ticking the box etc um, as part of our programs but yeah if you're really passionate about it if you really want to educate and and um and you know come forward with with a deeper understanding having been here for four or five years then I, you do need to go and do more than than we present as a starting point in the lectures you know we start on lots of things and we hope that we give people the tools to go away and explore their interests and, you know, and become really engaged, useful citizens and professionals. I suppose what I'm hoping is that all of our students come out of the whole experience, so formal curriculum and all the wider activities, a sort of strong, creative global citizens who are going to engage with the world in really positive ways. I think, um, as Emily was saying, we can't steer them down one particular route but we can give them a really broad awareness and readiness to be the kind of citizens that we hope they would be. I think also student activism within the university is important. So the university listens very strongly to the student voice. So student protests, students campaigning, all of those things can influence what we might teach in future. And I think that's another part of the picture we should be thinking about. Any final comments? No? Okay. Well, then, thank you very much uh, for joining me today, Hannah, Emily, and Velda. It's been a really, really interesting discussion. And that is the uh, last episode from me on uh, teaching matters around sustainability issues. Um, I hope you have enjoyed these uh, couple of discussions. And um, if you like listening about sustainability issues, I'm starting my own podcast um, called Change the Conversation with funding from the Department of Social Responsibility and Sustainability. So if you're into sustainability, please give that a listen. That'll be coming out in March. Thank you, everyone. Um, Thank bye. You. Bye. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>